Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shank needs to be in perfect the the premiers of Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Certainly, the the, the tackle pressure was 
was nowhere near the Giants. I don't know what the, the end tackle count was, but it was for big parts of that game, it was sort of, sort of running two to one uh, in the Giants' favour. And um, and that sort of ties in with, I think, you know, one of the comments was we were too tall, and I, I agree with that. I think we, we pro- in hindsight, I mean, I thought it was tough to miss out in the first place was Jermaine Jones. Um, really thought he should have been playing and he probably at the expense of of Jake Waterman, who didn't have a good game. And I think that would have helped rectify, you know, address that imbalance in tackles a little bit, given that Jones's, you know, his tackle numbers have been pretty good. And I think the week before he was equal, the highest tackler on the ground for us. So, you know, whether that would have swung the result back our way, I'm certain, but I don't think it would have hurt. Yeah, I think for the most part, I think the effort was there. I think, you know, we were talking before we started and, you know, I sort of rewatched the game uh, over last night and this afternoon and, and I reckon that your perception of the game sort of got influenced by the commentary a fair bit in that, you know, if, if you watched the game and you didn't have this, the box score up in the top corner and you just came in and watched it, you, you would have been forgiven for thinking that the Giants were five or six goals up and, you know, basically for the whole for the whole game, there was never much more than than a goal or so in it. I think it was 13 lead changes or something ridiculous throughout the game. It was pretty much, you know, they get one, we get one back. It was with a bit more balanced commentary. I think it actually would have been considered a, a really good... It was actually a pretty good game. It was, it was a, a good game of footy, yeah. It's it's disappointing, obviously, that they lost, but, I mean, it was a cracking game of footy back and forward. Yeah. You know, I, I think... I mean, GWS played really well, and I, I think for the most part, it was a bit of a clash of styles. I, I mean, GWS sort of out West Coast in a way in that their sort of chipping and high-marking game is the sort of way we normally beat teams, and we, we relied quite heavily on our contested marking dominance, and GWS relied on their, their sort of better-talented midfield, and it was, a, it was a sort of clash of two styles, and I think for the most part, it was a, it was a pretty good game. And you put that... You put that game in a front, you know, a stadium with forty or five fifty thousand people yelling and screaming and building the atmosphere, and and a commentary that was sort of getting excited about the game rather than just sort of trying to pop one team for four quarters, and you, you have a different impression. I, I feel so. Yeah, I, I think we're, and it was the thing, you know, luck wasn't going our way. I think it was the second quarter. I think Finlayson just. Hacked a kick up in the air and it bounced ten metres outside the goal square and then did a ninety degree bounce or probably more than ninety degree back through for the goals and then later that same quarter Kennedy's popped one up it's bounced in the goal square and then, <laughs> yeah. and then gone for a point you know yeah. that's I mean there's a there's a two goal turnaround there just on the bounce of a. F- Football to a degree, though. I mean, to a degree, in situations like that, you're making your own luck. I don't want to pot the wrong player or anything. I think in the Finlayson one. It might have been Brander and Rotham got into a bit of a mix-up as to who was coming and who was going. And you know, there's there's an element of, of somebody's got to just crash the pack and all this sort of stuff. I mean, GWS's work rate was terrific. And if you're going to query our work rate, I can't really deny that. Although I do largely agree. I think the performance was better than the outcome suggests. But yeah, a, a few things here and there might have changed it. But to a degree, I reckon, Case, you've got to make your own luck. If you're going back with the flight of the ball... They can't both call yours and let the ball bounce in the goal square. Yeah, I watched. I watched that because I was, had the luxury of watching the replay. I sort of replayed it a fair bit. I mean, Rotham was tied up with his direct opponent. Um, Brandon was coming back with the fly to the ball, and you know maybe he sort of comes back in. It's it sort of, I don't know. He, maybe he crashes the pack. Maybe you know you sort of where that ball landed. You're not expecting it to bounce back towards goal like that either. So 
I mean, you can look at it. that ball bounces back up and just pops up in the air, and then Brand is in a good position to run onto the ball and not take himself out of the contact because he's he's crashed the pack and lost his feet. So, you know, you can be hypercritical, but I think look, I mean, I think the Giants were the better side. Uh, I'm not suggesting for a moment that we deserve to win. I think, um, but at the same time, I think uh, yeah, the improvement that we need to make on the back of that game is incremental. It's not. It's not like the Geelong game by any stretch where you just look at it and just go, well, we weren't ever in that. You think, well, okay, you you, 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 you tinker with a couple of things and, you know, you can get a better result. So, I, you know, some of the teeth gnashing over the – you're always going to be disappointed with the loss, but I think sometimes you've got to look at it and say, okay, well, the other side played well. And, and I think if you watch Simpson's press conference, I, I think that's where he was sort of looking mm. at it, thinking, well, you know – yeah, we lost and we got some areas to improve, but you know there was a there was still some things to like about that game. I think our contested marking up forward was was pretty good. You know, Ryan had his first game back and 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 sort of had pretty limited influence, so he'll be better for the run. I thought Petrucelli had a really good game. Yeah, I'd love to get onto Petch in a minute because that was probably. I mean, Nick Matt played very well, of course, but Petch is probably one of the bigger long term takeaways I think from that game, where he's really starting to. Turn my opinion of him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Our midfielders, well, our midfield as a group, I think we're we're down a little bit on what they've put together. I think that was, you know, Kelly, Redden, Sheed, and Gaff sort of didn't have as much. And I think you know, Brandon was up. He'd been playing fairly well for a few weeks, and he probably had a a, a game that was his best. He, he sort of got caught a couple of times. On the, you know, a couple of times, he got pinned for holding the ball. He was a bit stiff, but it, it sort of was a an almost game for him. He just a bit out of sorts and he got shit mixed by Mumford at one stage. But <laughs> oh, jeez, yes, she sure did. Give him his due. I mean, he got up and he was running down the ground 10 seconds after that. Yeah, I think our defence sort of looked a little little shaky at times. But, yeah, yeah, not not all doom and gloom, apart from you know, four points would have been handy. Oh, no doubt. And I think that's what amplifies any sentiment negatively, you know, about, about a game. Because like we're both saying, I think it was a very good football game. And, and a team has to lose, unfortunately. That's the nature of the beast. Um, it's a shame that it was us. But in terms of hanging in there, I thought the Giants had a chance to break the Eagles back in the late third quarter, and the Eagles didn't let it happen. They held the game. They held the ball for about three or four minutes there towards the back end of the third quarter. They finally actually went forward, and I think it was Cripps. Somebody got the goal to bring it, bring the game a little bit closer and just sort of you know keep it up for grabs in the fourth term. Obviously, the fourth term... Very hotly contested until those last couple of minutes. For me, that Giants game is a very similar loss to the Bulldogs loss, which is not to say that it's a good loss. And I don't, I'm never, I don't want to be doing these, you know, take a bit of pride out of a loss and it was a good loss, any of this business. But the Dogs are a great side. We could have beaten them. Some would say we should have beaten them. The Giants, maybe not great, but they are a good side, particularly at home. Could have beaten them. Some might say should have beaten them. Those two losses are very similar, and those are, are in the style that a winning football team can have. The Geelong loss is no excuse. St Kilda loss, no excuse. Those are not top four serious contender losses. But the Bulldogs loss, that's going to happen. The Giants loss, it's going to happen. Um, now, that's not to say the Giants didn't absolutely out-hunt us and outwork us. 101 more disposals. Uh, despite that, 33 more tackles. So explain that one to me. 50 more marks, uh, 10 more clearances, all of that business. So stuff to work on, absolutely. But... Yeah, I'm with you, Keys. I don't think long-term it's all doom and gloom. It's just a shame that we're sort of in the position now where performance isn't at the moment quite as important as result. And obviously, 
not a good result. Uh, one good performance, and you touched on it there, Jack Petricelli. Two goals for him, and I was wrong on him. I think I have been, of all the players on the Eagles list, I think my opinion of Jack Petricelli has been the furthest from what he is now showing me. So hats off to him. He's done very well there. I was wrong on that. I said a few weeks ago that I don't think I'll ever see him show forward craft. It's more about burst speed and not, not being able to read the footy and all of this sort of stuff. Keys, for a guy that I used to consider more of an athlete than a footballer, he's actually turning into quite a nice small forward over these last couple of games. Yeah, he's starting to get he's starting to get into the right spots. He's also starting to understand his pace a little bit and how he can use it as his weapon. I think the second goal that he caught where he sort of got a handball from that Nui and then sort of ran. But instead of just sort of just running aimlessly, he sort of ran and then balanced himself up to make sure he had his sort of front and square to the goal a little bit and kicked it with his right. But knowing he had the time and space to do it, didn't look rushed, looked in control of it. Whereas in the past, I think in that situation, he's he's done something stupid or he's ended up you know, running into a bloke or something silly like that. He's, he's starting to work out where he fits in the scheme of things and he's He's getting the rewards. I think. I think I said one stage in the games, get eleven goals, one this year. So he's getting in the good spots to kick goals. So it's twelve one now. And again, you know, some people aren't in love with what he offers in terms of. I know he still bobbed up with the odd goal here or there, and I know I was one of these at the start of the season. Yeah, he can bob up with a goal, but he's not really a small forward, is he? But now you look at his his record: at least one goal in every game, and he's had a bag of four and two sets of two. He's sitting on twelve one through seven games, it's a, it's a fair return for a guy that, myself included, some people have been very critical of. Yeah, no, it's it's good. I mean, it's taken a little bit of time for him to come on, but good on him. He's just starting to to, to repay some of the faith that the um, the selectors have shown in him, I guess, and let's hope he can continue to um, build on it. So we've talked about the performance, and perhaps we're not super critical of the performance, but you know we are in a results-based phase at the moment. So what do we take away from the Giants long-term, this Giants game? Is it just that it's the four points dropped? Is there a wake-up call somewhere about the midfield? You know, or We love the contested marking. What's the long-term takeaway at the end of the season that we're going to look back and go, oh yeah, that's what we learned in round 10? Yeah, we need to put more pressure on the ball carrier. You're going to lose more games than you win with that sort of tackle discrepancy. You just can't, you can't expect to turn the ball over when you're not putting pressure on them. Um, so we, we need to fix that up. Supposedly, it was a focus in the off-season that Simpson said in the press conference, but you, you need to get that pressure around the ball. I, I think the other thing from that game was, uh, you know, it's been a trend through the season. Our, our fourth quarters have been poor all year. You, you know, you'll sort of look at that. The games where we've won, where we've been at home, we've usually, apart from the Gold Coast game, we, you know, we've either conceded ground or, or have only marginally won the final quarter. Um, and then you look at St Kilda, Bulldogs and the GWS game. We've actually been in a position going into the last quarter where we, we could have won the game. Only two of those games, the Bulldogs and the St Kilda game, were actually in front at three-quarter time. You know, and, and we've lost it in the last quarter. You know, why that is, um, you know, who knows? Is, is, it, is it a fitness-based thing? Is it, you know, that's when, you know, the sides that really want it, that's when it really comes to show and you know, the side that puts in the effort that gets the result but we need we need to address our last quarters because they've been they've been dismal all year and I reckon off the top of my head we won two maybe three I think three and that's the worst in the league tied with probably North Melbourne and the Gold Coast I'm willing to bet so you know we, we need to get better there 
A big week of news for the West Coast Eagles, and uh, we'll start with a top story here, Keys. It's Willie Rioli. Again, the club have finally acknowledged their stance on him. They've finally announced what the situation is. Of course, they're sticking with him. I think the writing was on the wall for this one for a little while, but he still can't return to the club for another three or four weeks, basically, June the 20th, but he is back in Perth. Uh, essentially, they put out a statement, Keys, that said, yeah, he's back in Perth, but we can't talk to him. You can't talk to him either, so shut up about it. Ultimately, though, Willie Rioli, club is behind him, and I think that's what we expected. Yeah, they sort of telegraphed this a fair way out that that was going to be the case. I don't have an issue with it. I, I, I'm happier that we've made the decision to support a guy that clearly needs some structure around him um, rather than turn, turn our back on him. So I think it's the right thing to do. I flip-flopped over whether or not we should allow him to play again this year because at the moment we're basically his little indiscretion in the airport has for essentially gone unpunished. So there's some sort of optics around that that aren't great. There's some sort of thought that they may be even... I think I heard Mark Duffield on ABC on Saturday morning say that you know, they should have maybe just banned him for two weeks and there's some merit in that. I think ultimately, though... If the noise is coming from the club, is you know he's not in the great headspace uh, on the money. I think you need to give him that carrot of playing footy again this year, just to make sure his head stays in the right spot. I mean, if you're saying to him, well, you know, really we don't think you're going to be playing until next March. That's a long time to keep him focused for a guy that's already sat two years out of footy. So mm, yeah, yeah, you, you know. So on that basis, I think he's been out for two years. You've got to sort of give him some sort of incentive to get back keep himself fit and, and look forward to playing. Um, it was really good, the statement. It said, you know, to the media, just, look, he can't do any media. Um, <laughs> it was pretty much a statement to the media rather than to the public. Yeah, and then today there's, you know, footage of him getting a cup of coffee. I mean, it's really, yeah, at what point do the media sort of sit back and, and critique what they're actually doing? I mean, you're in a, an environment where you've got one of the top female tennis players in the world um, Naomi Osaka saying she's not going to do press conferences at the French Open because she's tired of them and she's tired of stupid questions and her mental health and things like that. You you think maybe there might be some scope for the media to sort of maybe take a deep breath and have a look in the mirror and go, well, you know what, maybe we would be better to give these guys a little bit of space, especially when you know that they're not travelling as well as they might be. The people in the public don't really need to see Willie Rioli drinking a cup of coffee. Maybe just leave him alone, guys. Uh, Moving on from the Rioli side of things, a bit of uh, positive news mixed in with a bit of negative news here. Keys, I'll uh, I'll go negative first just to lighten this place up. McGovern, four weeks with a knee injury. That is the headline that came out throughout the week. Of course, we heard that he was out uh, in the build-up to the Giants game, and of course, he did miss the Giants game. Four weeks with a knee injury. Uh, Alex Witherden, one to two weeks as well with the groin. That was a late out in the build-up to the Giants game as well, so we won't be seeing him for a while. Jared Cameron also set to miss an extended period of time with an ankle injury, which is a real shame, and he's starting to come up to a, a fairly concerning length of time without any meaningful football under his belt given uh, the COVID and injury situation last year and now this year he's been injured for a fair hit of it so definitely one to watch there. Uh, Keys back to the positive though Oscar Allen he has signed a new contract the writing was on the wall for this one as well but it's done it's signed on the dotted line it has been delivered extended until the end of 2025 he's tied at the club for another four years it lines up with when he becomes a free agent so it makes good sense from his point of view but 
also absolutely makes great sense from our point of view. Fantastic to have Oscar Allen back on board. Yeah. Nice to have that one squared away. I don't think there was any real, despite some of the reports coming out, I don't think there was any, yeah, and certainly the comments that Oscar's made, you know, since signing up, I don't know that there was any real doubt that he was doing anything other than signing on. In uh, his own little podcast that he does with Sausage and uh, Amish Brayshaw, he sort of said, well, yeah, he's, the money that was being talked about in the press was silly, um, and he understands that, you know, he's got to earn the money before he's, paid it so he's got he's got a good head on his shoulders natural footballer really good to have him squared away and you know we've not got many guys now that are out of contract this year that we really need to get signed up I think the main ones I think Rotham Duggan and Brander are the the three ones that you most like to see get squared away and then there's a couple of guys like Redden and those guys are on sort of one year stuff that yeah you don't think they'd probably move, but yeah, great to see um, Alan sign on. He's, he's, our forward line's going to be built around him for the next half a decade or so, and yeah, it's going to be in good hands because he's he is a natural forward. Uh, one last piece of news. It's one that I was hoping to actually be able to ignore, but it's been changing all throughout the week and sort of growing, unfortunately. So another COVID uh, outbreak in Victoria. In fact, there were some COVID-positive people at the MCG and at uh, at Marvel for Essendon's game as well, which we'll get back around to. But as it stands, a bit of a lockdown situation in Victoria, but it doesn't look like it'll affect the Eagles. Essendon are in Perth. All of their players have tested negative. So the Essendon-West Coast game is going ahead. Uh, Richmond are uh, the next next opponent for Essendon, and it looks like dream time at the G. Keys. It might actually be dream time at Optus this year. So basically, aside from Richmond being set to settle into Perth for the next couple of weeks and eventually play against the Eagles at Optus. All things considered, it looks like the Eagles have gotten away with this one without much impact, but uh, yeah, definitely something to monitor in the, in the coming days. Yeah, I, the, the good thing from a selfish Eagles point of view is that you know the outbreak's sort of pretty much contained in Victoria and it's not affecting the other states, so it's going to impact the Victorian clubs, unfortunately for them. Um, feel for them, I especially feel for... Those people in Victoria have, you know, done their more than their fair of share of lockdowns already, and they're going to go into it for another week. So, not great result for them. But yeah, the Victorian clubs, you know, we're talking of maybe some more hub situations, but that that's probably going to be Victorian clubs basing themselves primarily in New South Wales and Queensland. So we should still be able to play our home games here without any trouble um and instead of traveling to the victoria you know perhaps we're traveling to um either brisbane or sydney so it shouldn't disrupt us too much and yeah it'll be interesting to see how how richmond go you know with an extended period away and dream time adoptus that would be that'd be quite interesting and be something that you'd uh given that's even though it's two clubs i passionately hate it might not be a bad game to go along to and watch just as a spectacle because it's something that, you know, you're not going to see probably any other time. So, yeah, interesting times ahead. And hopefully, more importantly, hopefully this outbreak in Victoria gets controlled. And, you know, this week it's just a blip and it doesn't extend much beyond that. Heroes and villains time for the week. Thank you to everybody who sent in their villains. We'll start there, as always, Keys. We've got a couple of, uh, of user submissions or reader submissions, listener submissions, if you will. Uh, Keely and Connor, they both mentioned Dom Sheed as a villain, and probably rightly so, a pretty uh, 
pretty poor act there rubbing, I think it was Bobby Hill, or the GWS player, rubbing his head into the turf at the end of the game. Not only did it impact the result, obviously, but just cut it out, Dom. That's that's pretty bullshit. It's pretty soft. It's not tough. So didn't like to see that one, nor did Keeley and Connor. Uh, our very own Mr. KK, he led the charge. He was one of many Eagles fans who wrote in unhappy with Lee Montagna's commentary. Keys, it seems like you are in that same boat as well. We got away with one throw and they made a whole quarter-time segment out of it, even though the Giants, just minutes prior, had gotten away with the same throw in the centre clearance. So that was pretty bizarre. Uh, Villain for me is the Collingwood fan who went to the MCG. He's got COVID. He's gone to the G. He's spread it to everybody, or at least he's risked it. The state's on lockdown. Footy's derailed. All of that keys, and he he got to see his side go down by one point. So that's villainous behaviour, and I think he got his comeuppance already. Uh, Villain of the Week nomination from yourself. I don't know who we pin it down onto, but it's more the uh, the ongoing commentary about West Coast's road form, which, okay, the numbers are we've won one, we've lost four on the road this year. So on the road, yep, we haven't been great. There's no shying away from that. However, we aren't any orphan in that regard. So out of, there's been 58 games so far this year where our sides travelled and played another team in their home state. So 58 road games, it's 19 wins, 39 losses across the league. It's a hit rate of about one in one in three, um, which would mean that if we beat Carlton, we would play them on the road next time, wherever that might be. If we do happen to win that, we would be two from six, which would be league average. Now, and when you look at our games on the road, we've played... Three of the sides in the top eight and two of those sides are in the top four. That's Geelong, Bulldogs and Giants. And then we've had a game against St Kilda and also Hawthorne. We've actually had three quite tough road games. Across the league, you know, Adelaide won from four. Port Adelaide have actually done fairly well. They've won three of their five road games. Those three wins, though, North Melbourne, Collingwood and Carlton. Three sides in the bottom six. They've lost to us and Brisbane. Sydney have actually done pretty well. They have two wins against Brisbane and Richmond on the road, um, but then they've also lost three on the road. Giants are split 2-2. Brisbane are split 2-2. But the wins, Giants have won against Adelaide and Collingwood on the road. Brisbane have won against Collingwood and Carlton. Then we go to some of the Victorian clubs. Geelong, zero wins, two losses. North Melbourne, zero wins, two losses. Collingwood, Donuts from two. Essendon have lost four road games, which is kind of positive heading into this weekend. Uh, Richmond both lost both their road games. The Bulldogs are the only one. They've, they've won their, both their games on the road against Port and GWS. So they're going okay. Yeah, but they're top of the ladder. So, you yeah, know. top of the ladder. So you expect that. So um, the point there is that, you know, yeah, the Eagles aren't doing well on the road, but the reality is, is basically three quarters of the league aren't doing very well on the road either. And it's... The, the wins, uh, when sides have won on the road, they've been against bad teams. Collingwood have actually lost all four games against an opponent that's from outside Victoria. You know, so it actually got, it, it sort of led me into something else. I started going down a, a little rabbit hole because it seems to me that this year the sides collectively on the road aren't going so well. So I went back, I had a look to see how, you know, historically how the Eagles go on the road. And I did it during Simpson's time as coach of the Eagles. That seemed to be a fairly good cutout. So from 2014, I ignored 2020 simply because that was a mixed up year and there's all sorts of variables and you know that, that throw it out. During Simpson's time as coach, 
over the six years from 2014 to 2019, we've got a 54% win rate on the road. 32 wins, 27 losses, and a draw. If you factor the start of that season in, we're still running slightly above 50% because it'd be 33, 33 wins, 31 losses, and a draw. So the rate of the you know, West Coast don't travel really is kind of bullshit. And if you have a look, I went through all the clubs. The only non-Victorian team with a better win-loss record on the road than us is Sydney, and they've actually got... 68%. They're the best travelling side in the competition. They win 68% of their games on the road. Port and Adelaide are just above 50%. Fremantle at 33. Giants are at 45. Brisbane 25. And Gold Coast are a really healthy 15% win, which is probably about what they're. <laughs> so you want to talk about it. We're really not going that bad. We're second amongst non-Victorian teams in terms of travel. Then you want to go and have a look at how the... Uh, how the Victorian teams go. Please. So, best of the Victorian teams, Collingwood. 56.7, they've won 17 out of their 30 games on the road, closely followed by Richmond, they've won 18 out of their 32. So they're, they're the two best travelling teams, which is kind of funny given that both those sides get a bit of a rap for not travelling. Um, Quickly interjecting on that, of course, none of those away games would have been in Geelong, none of those away games would have been in Tasmania, but please carry on. Yeah, um, Hawthorne Nets, they're, they're at 55. Um, I mean, for 2004, I mean, they won two flags in that period, so they, they, they go all right. Geelong go all right, they're just above 50. Yeah, have a look, some of those other those. Essendon, 38%. North Melbourne, 43%. St Kilda, 20%. Bulldogs, 25%. Carlton. <laughs> Carlton 16, they've won five games on the road in a six-year period. Jesus Christ. So you want to point fingers about who can travel and who can't, I think you're looking at the at the wrong club if you want to pop West Coast. Forget interstate. We won five games in Victoria in 2018, and they've won five games out of Victoria in six years. So it's a really lazy narrative by the press. And what sort of came out of what I looked at is because the media don't like doing their research... They're actually missing a story here. Over that six-year period that I looked at, the average win rate of teams travelling outside of their state was 42.3%, roughly four out of every nine games. This year, league-wide, it's 32%. So you're looking at you know three out of the nine. So so basically, you're you know you've got a 10% drop in likelihood of a team winning on the road this season compared to other years. That's a pretty significant drop. And we're we're up to round we're coming into round eleven. So it's not it's not we've there's fifty eight road games this year. It's a reasonably good sample size to say, well, for whatever reason, sides aren't travelling as well this season as what they've done in the past. So yeah, maybe the media just actually have a look and look Instead of just focusing on one little detail because it's easy and lazy, have a look at the broader picture and maybe there's a story there that should be smacking you in the face and it's not. So that's that's my villain of the week, if you like, is the media as a collective and their lazy narratives. Well done, Keys. Well done. This segment is yours and you, it, you're the champion of this segment, no doubt, but normally it's an unhinged rant at anybody at every passing car and any cloud and anybody that's wronged you in any way that was very well put together that's research that's factual as you said that's more than any of the of the media narratives that you get this time of year and during footy season that's actually a deep dive into some data there 
I'm genuinely very impressed with that. Not not just that you've done it, but at the outcome and all of that. Fantastic work. I love that. So, yeah, well done. Villain of the week. The general media vibe. Piss off. Right, heroes. Let's get through some heroes. Let's turn it back positive. There was a lot of love for Nick Nat. A lot of love for Shannon Hearn as well. Of course, uh, a great day for him historically in terms of breaking the club game's appearance record, but uh, not a great day personally. A bit rusty. He will be better for the run. We'll, we'll see what happens when he comes back to Optus. But a lot of people like Nick Nat. A lot of them like Shannon Hearn. Uh, hero nomination from myself for the Indigenous Jumper and whoever designed that. It's rare that they've changed them because the current, or rather the previous version, they've stuck with for years and years and years because it is a winner. If you haven't seen this year's, jump online, have a look at it. It's fantastic. Keys, I wish it had a little bit more eagles imagery in it, some talons, some feathers, anything to do with that, but a really nice jumper nonetheless. Great bit of kit. My main hero nomination, though, it is for a set of umpires, and it is for the set of the umpires who were overseeing the Adelaide versus Melbourne game. Basically, if you haven't seen this game, they screwed Melbourne. They completely robbed them of any chance to win. Uh, Pretty objectively, they robbed them of the win. Uh, It's a sentiment shared by Rod on Twitter as well. The umpires of the Adelaide game, Curtis Dubois, Hayden Gavine, and Jacob Mollison. Well done, gents. I hate Melbourne. It screwed them over. They were very sad. It made me very happy. Hero of the week for you. Keys, anybody stand out in a good way for you this week? Yeah, similar to that. Tex Walker, goal to um, sink Melbourne. That was pretty good. It was always nice to see Melbourne lose like that. And, yeah, the umpires, a backhanded hero of the week. Got to admire the balls on the South Australian government. They um, released a guy into Victoria with COVID and um, they go spread it around there and then they're the first state to jump up and say, <laughs> no, no, you're Victorians, you're not coming back here. We're shutting their borders up. So there's a fair set of balls on them for doing that. <laughs> All they had to do was let them have the prison bars. They wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't yeah, have sent a plan to Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll teach you, Eddie. And like, yeah, plus one for the Indigenous jumper. I think it's something that the club does really well. I think if you look at the um, our Indigenous jumper over the last seven or eight years that they've been done, I think our one always is a bit of a standout. And, and this year's no no exception. You moved away from the eagle and, and, and gone with a bit of a snake, but sort of still retains the way they've got the snake wrapping around. Still sort of retains a bit of the, the wings feel to the jumper. So well done on that. And I, I think I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of comparing Indigenous jumpers because I think they should all be celebrated. But, you know, I think if you sort of look at them, ours is regularly one of the, if not the best, among the best. So that would be mine. I, 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 my hero would be... The Indigenous Jumper. Let's give it to that. Round 11, the West Coast Eagles host Essendon, 5.40pm at Optus Stadium. Now, we're doing it this late in the week, Keys, because we have team announcements. The AFL have relented. Thursday teams are back, and we do have the news. It's just dropped. We'll do Essendon's first because it's boring and nobody cares. In Jake Stringer out Harry Jones. So a bit of a like-for-like with the forward swap there. Stringer obviously a little bit more well-known and and you'd suggest a little bit more dangerous there than the young Harry Jones. For the West Coast Eagles keys, in Jermaine Jones, in Elliot Yo, He's back. He played a a managed number of minutes throughout the waffle, but he is back. Elliot Yo in, Jermaine Jones in, uh, making way Jack Waterman and Harry Edwards. What do we make of the decision keys after just one short bit of waffle uh, of match practice under his belt, I suppose. Elliot Yo is playing AFL footy. What do we make of that? A surprise. I think most of the noises were 
you know, we wanted to get him a couple of games, whether they were just playing ducks and drakes and, you know, always had the plan to bring him back after one game or not, we'll never know. It reeks a little bit of desperation. I, I, that may be a, a harsh take on it, but just sort of, it feels, it's got a rushed feel to it, I must say. But assuming that the Medicos have all signed off on it, I think, you know, from what I did see in the game, he sort of, you know, crashed in and took a couple of good marks. He kicked a couple of one. I saw a couple of kicks where he, you know, was launching at 50, 60 metres. So it looked a bit like the, the Elliot Yo that we know, even though he, he did look a, a touch rusty. But all things considered, yeah, it's great to see uh, that name back on the team sheet. It's a big game this week. We talked, we've, and we have indeed talked for months, about the Eagles just needing to tick off wins until they get people back. Now, Yoey is coming back. Now we're looking at Gov to come back, hopefully Shuey, and you know really sort of crack on in the second half of the year. This is another one to just tick off. You talked about Essendon's bad form out of state and not to look past them or just suggest it's going to be a walk-up easy win or anything. But again, this is one that falls in the category of if you can't win this game, you don't deserve to be a contender anyway. So keys, they've just got to simply take care of business. Essendon are a side who they've got some key outs, you know, no Devin Smith, no Dylan Shield either, but they've still got Parrish, they've still got Merritt, guys that can use the footy, guys that perhaps you want to put some time into as well. Uh, Nick Hind off the halfback, there's some tagging options maybe there. And we know how Essendon used to use that halfback as well to attack the Eagles with a great deal of success. It seems like every single time they came to town, they'd carve us off off the halfback. So what are you hoping to see? Let's start in the middle. Let's start in the middle because I think that's where the biggest battle was lost against the Giants. What are you hoping to see, given that Yoey's back, Kelly's getting some help now, there's Sheed in there, there's Redden in there, Nick Nat is going up against a really untested ruck division. Can the midfield stand up this week? Can they answer the call after a really poor day at the office against GWS? Yeah, we get, and particularly because it looks like the, the weather's not going to be all that pleasant from the forecast. So it's going to be a wet game, which is, I think, would be our first game in the wet this year. Um, I can't remember any games we've played in anything other than dry conditions. I haven't even had any sort of dewy nights. Was there a bit of drizzle in the Giants game for, for a minute or no? Have I... Yeah, I, I sort of don't remember there sort of being any. Um, I, I think it was overcast, but I don't. if there was, it didn't really have any influence on the game. So, yeah, so game that's going to, it's likely to be wet. You're going to be looking at a lot of ground ball. You're probably going to be a higher number than average stoppages around the ground and things like that. So... Yeah, it's going to have to be you know, our tackle numbers, our attack on the ball. It's not going to be uh, a conditions that allow themselves to um, to be pretty. So, yeah, that, the midfield's just going to crack in and we've got to just make sure we're, uh, or whatever means, just keep push, moving that ball forward, you know, whether it's tap-ons or soccer kicks or something like that. We really need to be on our, on our game. So in that respect, I like the changes. We've sort of dropped out. Uh, Waterman and, and Edwards for Jones and Yo, so we've put in two sort of more ground ball type players. So I like those changes, uh, but that's where we that effort around the ball, which was missing in the Giants game, that's what we're going to be wanting to see on uh, on Saturday night. Now Essendon are a bit of a strange one when you're trying to look at them. They're they're four and six. They're eleventh on the ladder, and yet they're second in the league in points per game. The Eagles are third, so. You might say we're even looking for a shootout outside of the weather factor, but you know, in a, in a perfect world, this might have turned into a real shootout. And yet, Keys, you look at their forward line. I mean, Kyle Hooker's there, Tip and Woody's there. So you think maybe is is that the Barass matchup and the Shep matchup there, or maybe Cole, maybe Nelson on on Tipper? But 
you know, there's some key guys there. Beyond that, it's a lot of goals through the midfield. It's a lot of guys that you wouldn't really expect bobbing up for goals. And despite the fact that their record's not crash hot, they're scoring a footy pretty well throughout the year. So how do we go about slowing them down? Yeah, it's the old flat-track bully. There's a bit of flat-track bullies about about Essendon. I mean, when they get going, they're, they're pretty dangerous. I'm just having a look at their results, you know. Um, 143 points against St Kilda, you know, 141 against North, 109 against Collingwood. But then they've, you know, there's a couple of games, you know, they only managed 45 against Brisbane. They only put 68 on Fremantle. So, yeah, it's like if they get the game on, on their terms, obviously can hit the scoreboard. But there's also signs there that, yeah, they need things to be on their terms. And and a lot of a couple of those games where they have scored high, they've, they've been, they've, they've lost a couple of games where they've scored over 100 points. So they can be, if they go to attacking, they, they, you can get them the other way. Fifth highest points against in the league, mind you, we're, we're seventh high, so we're not travelling that much better. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Defensively, they're great. That great, and um, but they have they have taken sort of full toll in a couple of games where they've got out and got the game on their terms. I think probably flatters their uh, their scoring. Swinging it around to the other end of the field to the Eagles forward line, of course, Kennedy, Darling, Allen. We know what these guys can do. Throw Bailey Williams in there while you're at it. You know, maybe a slick night might not suit him, but the contested marking prowess of the Eagles has paid dividends throughout the year. Petrocelli we talked about, maybe turning a bit of a corner. Jermaine Jones, I'm very happy with the inclusion. Like you, I think it really balances the team. Uh, Cripps, is he there? Is he thereabouts? He showed a lot a few weeks ago and, again, went back to that almost sort of state against the Giants. Kicked some goals, but equally pretty fumbly and spent a bit of time up the ground as well, strangely enough. So, you know, personnel-wise, it's a good-looking group if they can all just fire up and get on form. Liam Ryan, of course, hopefully builds into his return to footy. Um, but then you look at the Essendon halfbacks. They've got Nick Hind there. They've got Jordan Ridley. Some really good rebounding options. How do we ensure that those guys don't dash away from us off the halfback? Is it almost worth saying to Cripps or Jones or somebody like this, sacrifice your game and go and run around with one of them for the day? Yeah, I think a, a lot's going to fall on Cripps and Jones to to make sure they're putting the pressure on those Essendon halfbacks. They're, they're, they're the two that, you know, that, that responsibility's got to fall. You don't want Ryan sacrificing his attacking flair to sort of be constant... Ryan will provide a bit of pressure, but he his impact on the game is going to be creatively, um, and hopefully, you know, he's better for the run, a bit of a fitness base, and sort of regain a bit of touch. and And with a bit of luck, he'll uh, stand on a couple of blokes' heads, but get a couple of ground balls. And his field kicking is very good. It, and it's got to be it's got to be through not just on Cripps and Jones, but it's got to be through the midfielders as well to lock down on Essendon and make sure we're not getting you know the likes of of Merritt and Parrish and Zaharakis, McGrath running through the middle unchecked and kicking it out to their forwards because no matter how good your backs are, if you're given the midfield time and space, they're going to spot up targets eventually. So we've got to stymie that that run through, right through the ground, and it's a team defence thing. Uh, We allowed the Giants to chip the ball around a little bit too much last weekend, so we we need to... um, to control that. I've certainly been talking over the last couple of weeks about just ticking the boxes and getting things done. Performance doesn't matter so much. Results matter a lot. Is this, are we starting to get into a point of the season where you'd like to see him ramp up and really show something? You know, the, the percentage we lost against Geelong, we've sort of chipped it back and, you know, we do still just need to keep winning. But is this a sort of opportunity, this game coming up, where the Eagles can kind of make a statement and 
but it might not be the world's most impressive statement. It's not going to shy away from any flat track bully tag, but at least, you know, keep Eagles fans quiet for a while and just have everybody reassured. A little bit like the Derby did. You know, we put Freo to the sword. Is it time to do the same and just sort of settle everybody down a bit again against Essendon? I think you're just looking for consistency of effort, and that's that's the main thing. You just want you want four quarters. Uh, you want the effort there. You do that and we win the game by two points, I'll take it. I think what you do want to see, if we do get control of the game, so a bit like the Adelaide game, where we sort of looked like we, we had that game sort of won come three-quarter time but then didn't run it out, that's probably where I want. If, if we do get to a position where we've, we've got control of the game, you really would like to see them, you know, a good old flat track. You know, one of those... One of those games that we used to sort of do fairly regularly at Subiaco Oval where you'd, you'd win by 10 or 12 goals and you still sort of sometimes come away disappointed and say, well, geez, we should have won by 15. I'd love a win like that where we, we just blow them off the park. You know, that's not necessarily the expectation. The, the, the hope is you just, you just sort of got to win. But I think if the opportunity presents itself to um, to really put them to the sword, then, then I hope that we, we do take it. So lead the way on the tips then. Who is going to win this weekend, by how much, and which eagle is going to impress us the most? I think this is one we, we can win by 24. Um, <laughs> the, the familiar tip. A familiar a familiar tip. I think that's you know, probably a, a fair reflection of the, the difference between the sides. So that's probably the, the line. I, I think we, we want to be winning by 24 points and hopefully more than that. Yeah, if we win by less than 24 you you're probably going to walk away a little flat and certainly if we look you know it's, it's a game that we should be losing if if we do happen to lose then you know alarm bells are really going to start winning because if we if we're dropping games on the road we can't afford to be losing home games you know just just in terms of making finals let alone worrying about how high up the ladder you finish we've got to take care of our home games particularly against the side that probably isn't going to finish in the eight, you'd think, on exposed form. Yeah, so 24 points plus. Best on ground, Shannon Hearn, I think he's, it's the sort of game that's going to be physical, the ball's going to be on the ground a bit. His physicality and ability to sort of run in straight lines at the footy and just get him moving our way. Had last week to regain, to find some from touch, so I'm going to go uh, Bunga Hearn to um, celebrate uh, breaking the game's record holding record again for a second week in a row. Very nice. A, uh, a somewhat romantic tip, but I'd definitely get around that. That'd be very nice. Uh, the kiss of death system for me has failed now twice. I'm sick of it. I'm done. I'm just going to tip normally again. I tried to tip the Giants last week in an attempt to trick them into losing. They still won. Pissed off. Not happy about it. So uh, I'm tipping the Eagles this week because I think they'll win and I'm done playing games. The Eagles are going to win by 18. Uh, in a dry game, I would have had them by a lot more, but yeah, it looks to be pretty wet on Saturday, so we'll have to wait and see how the Eagles navigate that one. Eagles by 18. Uh, I had Nick Nat as our best on last week. I think I had Gaff and Darling the previous weeks before, so I'm on a bit of a roll. You heard it here first. Tim Kelly, best on ground. Going to suit the conditions. He's got a little bit more help in Elliot Yo alongside him, and he's going to start uh, really pushing some pricks out the way, hit the scoreboard, and picking it up off the greasy deck. So, Fantastic game from TK coming up. And Keys, you and I are in agreement. The Eagles are going to win. Yep, sounds good. That will do it from us this week, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Keys, just yourself this week, but it was an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much for your research as well in your Villain of the Week segment. All in all, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no, it's good. Hopefully it wasn't too dry for everyone. Just blurting out a bunch of numbers, but... uh... 
Hopefully we'll uh, have a win against Essendon, who just a shitful team. <laughs> now we can really sink the boots into him. But now we better we better wait for the Eagles to win before we really properly sink the boots in. Uh, that will come, of course, next week when when that does happen. But next week, guys, the podcast a little bit different. As I said off the top, a bit of sizzle there. So at uh, WCEBFPod on Twitter, follow us on Facebook as well, Big Footy Eagles Podcast. Just make sure you're following all the feeds. Little bit of a uh, an announcement coming up regarding the future of the podcast, so keep your eyes peeled for that one, and we will hopefully see you this time next week on on a very special edition of the pod. Thanks very much, guys. We'll see you then. Bye.